Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. What? I, I didn't know it was bad, but the pin's on it now. You gotta help me. Slow down now. This isn't good. No. Emily said words I didn't know. Tell me if they catch. Brick? No. Tug? Tug might be a drink. Like milk and vodka. Pin? You know the kingpin. Dope runner, right? Big time. What are you gonna do? She asked for my help. I just want to know she's okay. So what's first? I'm gonna start shaking things up. Hello and welcome to Rewatchability 2020. Ban the future! <laughs> We're in the future. Barbara Walters! <laughs> we are sci-fi now. We have jetpacks. Yeah, my eyes were replaced by ocular implants. Oh my god. They don't work very well. No. I'm actually blind. <laughs> I was looking up at the ceiling right now. <laughs> they look like bad glass eyes. Uh, the hoverboard you came in on was pretty sweet, though. I think I was scammed. <laughs> We are back from our little hiatus. Yeah. And we're gonna do we're gonna talk about the movie Brick because Ryan Johnson just put knives out out. Right. And <laughs> there was a Star Wars movie that happened that uh hated Ryan Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> so this does seem like a really good point to go back to his beginning and revisit everything that made him who he is. Yeah, how he built himself. Mm-hmm. Brick. By brick. That's a reference he, to Looper. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, he's not made of bricks. <laughs> he's a person, Blaine. <laughs> he's made of sticks. Um, so uh, before we get into that, I wanted to thank you for listening. And uh, no problem. Uh, <laughs> just like biding your time. With that joke. <laughs> so long. You, the listener. Oh. Robert. All right. <laughs> and and uh, people out there, unlike you, Rob, who have gone to our Patreon and given us one, three, or five dollars. That's fair. To keep this podcast going, mm-hmm. they get some uh, some bonus material once in a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, they also get the podcast free and ad free. Yeah. Uh, well, ad free and early is The best two kinds of freedom. <laughs> <laughs> so you can go to patreon.com slash rewatchability to, uh, to donate if you want to. Uh, and if you can't, just tell a friend about it. Yeah. Yeah. Or tell. 7,000 friends. <laughs> yeah, if you have like a big Instagram following, you know. Yeah. Yeah, Insta. Use us. your influencer power. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> to be like. Stop selling matcha and <laughs> talk about our podcast. The only thing that helps my. Never mind. <laughs> I was going to say that you need to listen to rewatchability to have firm stools. 
Oh, my God. But uh, I can tell you that does not work. No, Rob's bassy voice really loosens the bowels. That's right. It's good for constipation. Yeah, there you go. Let's get into Brick. Rob, when did you first watch this movie? I saw it, I think, not too long after it came out on DVD. Mm. I think this was still while I was in university, and I remember being introduced to it by my then-girlfriend who was – you know, big into cinema, big into mm. film, big into like young hotshot directors and the people who are going to be like, you know, making the Star Wars movies of tomorrow. <laughs> Great. And so like this was one of the movies that she wanted to show me. And mm. so I sat down and watched it. And to be honest, I didn't love it, Blaine. <laughs> were you just trying to like make out with her the entire time? Yeah, that it was cock blocking me. <laughs> I was like, forget about JGL, baby. I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> What's he got that I don't? Everything. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. He was very good on Third Rock from the Sun, too. Yeah. So he's a great act. I understand. <laughs> but, yeah, I didn't love this film. I did check out Ryan Johnson's next film, Looper, and enjoyed that a lot more. Not Brothers Bloom? Oh, yeah. That's right. I didn't miss that one either. <laughs> I didn't catch that one, I should yeah, say. Yeah. But... Yeah, I mean, he's become such a big director, and as we talked about, he's been uh, maligned Mm -hmm. for his participation in Star Wars by some, and also praised in his participation in Star Wars by others, and now he's free, maybe, (laughs) to do his own things, and I thought it might be a good time to revisit Brick. And the other thing is that, like, I wasn't well-versed in the vocabulary of film noir Mm. at the time, or noir in general. I hadn't read, like... Raymond Chandler books or anything like that. I hadn't seen The Big Sleep. Right. So Falcon. Yeah. Yeah. So now I feel more primed to actually get what is happening here. Because there's a lot that happens. You know, maybe I just didn't – maybe it's just too quick for me. Maybe I'm thick as a – Thick person. <laughs> um, I when we were watching when I was watching this movie, I was like, "Rob's rundown is going to be difficult this week." Yeah, yeah. You have a lot of plot points to cover. Ooh, it's really twisty, turny. I saw this movie right when it kind of hit DVD the first time. I had heard such good things about it and couldn't see it in theaters. Right. So I was so excited because to... you were laying low. <laughs> I was on the lamb. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, there was some heat on me, and I wanted to let that fizzle out before I watched this movie. And I loved it. Like, I, right. my, like, lack of film school, but still wanted to make movies mine. This was your film school. Yeah, it, kind of. I I wow. remember watching this, like, almost frame by frame mm-hmm. and being like, how did you do that garbage bag effect? And Did you like, do any of that uh, fan fiction that you're so fond of? <laughs> that I'm so fond of. Well, you know, you're always like, well, I love this movie and it made me want to become a filmmaker. You're like, I wrote, the, I wrote this version of the script and, you know, I wrote this fan fiction. <laughs> no, I never ended up writing my Cinderblock. <laughs> yeah, my sequel to Bricks, <laughs> Cinderblock. No? Okay. Uh, no, I never did. But it still did influence you. It did. I mean, I, I loved the, the dialogue of this movie, mm-hmm. and I loved that it was a genre mashup of like the high school film of the time and the film noir. Right. So I, I love that, and, and I do love genre mashups to this day. I think they're, they're uh, 
a lot of people just call them comedies and shoo them aside. I, I really, I really like them. Yeah, well, I didn't get any of the jokes in this movie. <laughs> there were some funny parts. Okay, yeah, that's true. Yeah, when he hits the pole, that that. Uh... I mean, that's not so much of a joke as. Uh... <laughs> I mean, it's a sight gag. Yeah. I don't know trauma construed as physical comedy, mm-hmm. but I should say it's a physical pole. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, I yeah, I, I love this movie, and I have su- since seen every Ryan Johnson film i'm wow. a huge fan of his i will defend ryan johnson until the cows come home even the last jedi i'm sorry uh internet now people <laughs> are not going to listen to us anymore like, i don't know fuck that guy well i mean i you know yeah i mean it was like the whole you know incel whatever you know the people who didn't like it you know the people who don't really want listening to the podcast i mean you can <laughs> you can not like the last jedi but you know a lot of the uh, explosive commentary is, uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, They're the same people that hated on us for talking about the new Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah. everyone wor- that works with Ryan Johnson says that he's like the least controversial director, the nicest guy to work for. He seems really nice. Like yeah. on Twitter, he's always he seems like he spends 99 percent of his time being like. Answering critics of The Last Jedi being like, sorry you didn't like it. That's okay. It doesn't make you a bad person. (laughs) Right, right. So, Rob, do you want to run down the plot? Maybe people haven't seen Ryan Johnson's first film starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt. came out in 2006, 5. Do you want to run down the film for people who haven't seen it? I will try. All right. Because it's very twisty. It's very turny. But it starts with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He plays this guy named Brendan Fry. Not an alien. Just gonna say, oh, okay, right. that screws up my entire analysis ah, okay. of this film. Yeah, that's fair. Damn, and he is time traveling though. He's, he's in a he's loop. the younger Bruce Willis. Yeah, he's the younger, yes already yes for sure. No, it opens to him standing in like a culvert. I mm-hmm. think that's what that's called. Like a like a, a tunnel for a, a man-made river. Yeah, it's like the opening, mm-hmm. and down there with him is what I call the. D-Y-M, wait, wait, D-Y-W, <laughs> the dead young woman. Right. It starts <laughs> off every mystery ever made. I mean, it kind of does. And, yeah. you know, of course, like, this movie apes a lot of the film noir and noir beats and tropes. And I don't think that that means that it doesn't get to be, like, you know, called out for using those tropes well, yeah, I mean, it's calling out the tropes, too, but then it falls into some of the same traps that those film noirs did. At the exactly. Same time. Yeah. yeah, and like, you know, yeah, like, yeah, every murder mystery, every movie, so many movies end up with some young woman who we don't even get to see alive usually on screen, <laughs> yeah. wrapped up in a shower curtain or, you know, naked, naked in the drain. Usually naked, yeah. And and that's like the fetishization of like the dead woman is uh, kind of getting to a grotesque point now. Even in that HBO uh, series that came out like about a year ago, The Night Of, mm-hmm. like it just, so many shots of the, the dead woman on the bed all cut up and it was like fetishizing it a little bit. Yeah. And, those shows are so hard to watch for me now because it's just it's it happens again and again and again and again. And again. Mm-hmm. Let's have some dead young men. Sure. Come on, equality. <laughs> <laughs> Find us rolled up in a shower curtain in a culvert. Yeah, or you know maybe a pet is stolen and you need a pet <laughs> detective to come in and do something. Jim Carrey was a progressive, <laughs> <laughs> but so. 
this person that he's found dead is his ex-girlfriend. And we get flashed back to a little while before that where he was opening his locker and he found a note telling him to go to some intersection. And while he's there, he gets a phone call at a payphone from his ex-girlfriend, whose name is Emily. Mm -hmm. And she tells him a bunch of stuff that he doesn't understand because they're talking very fast like everybody does in this movie. It's so funny. It's like uh, she's like, "Okay, these are your clues. (laughs) It's like the beginning of like an escape room or something. It's like poor Frisco, brick, pin, what? And then out. Oh, man, she is acting way more enthusiastic than all the people at escape rooms that I've been to. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the clue is that the girl was murdered and uh, there's a body under the bed. You can press the button again if you need more hints. (laughs) Yeah, welcome to the uh, medieval times escape room. I'm a knight and I'm going to... Yeah, they're just like the most bored actors. Yeah, but she tells him that something about a brick... Something about poor Frisco, Mm -hmm. something about Tug, and something about the pin. Mm. We don't know what any of that means, but he decides he has to go investigating and find his girlfriend. So he talks to the only person he can trust, the brain, not Pinky's I was really excited. (laughs) That would be kind of (laughs) – not kind of amazing. Hello, Brendan. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, and he gets all these clues, but he also knows that Emily is kind of looking at him and that this car that drives by puts a cigarette out, another clue, right. uh, she's afraid of that car or who is in that car. Mm-hmm. And so he follows all of the clues mm-hmm. to find her. He speaks to like one of the drama people who leads him to some stoners who hang outside of this pie shop or something. Yeah, and I I just love the fact that he's going through all the cliques in high school, and they don't even seem so cliquey like in high school movies where they're all dressed the same and they all you know it's it's this uh, weird version of a this feels really real actually to a high school. Yeah, well, I think it feels more modern than some of the like earlier ones, which is sort of right. like separate into like these are the jocks, these are the nerds, yeah, these are the cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this one the separations seem a bit more organic. Yeah. And I actually love the scene where he first confronts the guy. What's his name? Dode? Yeah, Dode. <laughs> what a name. <laughs> Dode makes like a tough guy like his gang of stoners are going to like, you know, beat the shit out of Joseph Gordon-Levitt when he does something. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt just like wails into him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He takes the subterfuge right down. He just cuts right through it. And that line of like... I got a good sleep last night, and I have all five of my senses, so I'm six up on you. Like, it was just a great, uh, and delivered so well. Where's she at? You better get while it's good. Feel it now, dude. Don't let me if you want, Hashhead. I got all five senses and I slept last night. That puts me six up on the lot of you. It's easy, bro. We kind of know this like guy just trades in violence whenever he is with another person. When he's on his own, he's on his own. He's fine. But when he's interacting with people, it turns bad. Fast. It's true. Yeah. yeah. He has anger issues. Yeah. He's, uh, he's antisocial. Mm-hmm. And his girlfriend tells him that when he kind of follows Dode to, to talk to her mm-hmm. right? and kind of finds out where she is. And she finally got, does come and talk to him. And she's like, I broke up with you because you never wanted 
to hang out with anyone. You just wanted to be on our own. Yeah, and, criticize everyone and brood and be a, an angry young man. <laughs> and but, she needed more. Yeah. She needed a life. She wanted to go on vacation. She wanted to sell drugs. She wanted to get lost. You know? <laughs> um, this is the Raven uh, de Raven. Um, I, I don't know, but she she's from Lost. She's on Lost, right? Yeah. Who's she playing Lost again? Claire. Right. <laughs> yeah. But she had an Australian accent in that, didn't she? Th- yeah. She was like, "Oh, I'm having a baby. Oh, something's happening with the baby, mate." <laughs> The dingo. It's, the, it's always the dingo. <laughs> always the dingo. It's always the dingo. Yeah. But she uh, then is killed in this movie. Well, yeah. I mean, she was the body that Joseph Gordon-Levitt was standing at, mm-hmm. uh, you know, previously. In the culvert. Yeah. And that's where he met her sort of before mm-hmm. as well. And so when he comes back later and finds her body, bringing us to the beginning of the movie... He does – He just – you know, if you find a body, call someone. Yeah. Don't drag it further into a dark culvert. That's a rewatchability PSA. <laughs> if you find a body, do not drag it into a dark culvert. <laughs> the stuff you should already fucking know. <laughs> little yeah. rainbow over our heads. Mm-hmm. But he also – somebody sees him doing that as well, and he tries to catch him, but he gets knocked out. Yeah. Yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt gets knocked out so much in this movie. Well, I – yeah. He should he should have a little bit of brain damage by the end of this movie. Well, he also, like, causes so many fights. And, like, this is not, like, jacked up for Don John Joseph Gordon-Levitt <laughs> that we're talking jacked about. Jacked up is a good phrase for that movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this is, like – you know, skinny Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He's, like, playing, like, a really bookish character. Yeah. His, like, bangs sort of remind me of Busy from the Canadian TV show Ready or Not. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. He, he's not a tough guy. No, he's wiry, but he's tenacious. And yeah. that's he because he has this dead ex-girlfriend that he needs to avenge in some way. And getting knocked out is in the card for He needs to come back with the punch. But I loved how much he threw himself into those fights like he would punch with his whole body you don't usually see that mm-hmm. in movies they're just kind of like trading blows but this seemed uh, semi semi yeah. real yeah uh, to the fights that i've seen in high school <laughs> well i don't know about that they're yeah i mean they're pretty like th- like they fight like people fight in movies in this movie like there's no like scrapping and like pulling at each other's shirt and crying and then there's snot everywhere and then you're like just screaming at fucking bitch (laughs) yeah they don't say bro enough i'm gonna turn my dad on you repeatedly bro 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 yeah Uh, they don't do that which i think is a high school you're right you're right yeah but so he, after she has died, he goes to Brain and he starts to try to interpret what these words mean. So he thinks that, you know, he thinks that a brick could be drug related. Mm. It could be like a brick of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He also thinks that like tug could be a type of drink. Brain knows nothing. Yeah. Brain doesn't give him any actual any clues that like help. I think the drug thing he finds out way later. He's like, Pin could be like... This thing that they used to take drugs or something, it, nothing is is uh, is good from brain. Mm-hmm. But he eventually discovers that Pin is this older dude, like a twenty six year old. Oh, that is that is the clue that brain kind of gives him. Yeah, he's like this uh, mythic figure in the schoolyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's like, 
the kingpin, the drug kingpin who's been, you know, supplying everything. And it goes through several guys, but it all leads back to him. Right. So Brendan starts trying to get in with the pin. Mm-hmm. And he says, like, yeah, let me, you know, I used to, we, we learned that he used to, um, that he ratted out his old buddy Jer yeah. at some point, And that was like a critical moment in his relationship with, uh, you know, what's her face. And this is what I love about this movie is that the, the principal of the school is kind of like the commish, you know, he like, yeah. he like turned his friend into the cops, the, the school um, principal and vice principal. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's not just any like vice principal. It's assistant vice principal Shaft. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Who is the man who give you detention? <laughs> but assistant vice principal Shaft. Yeah, it's <laughs> a lot of syllables fit in there. A lot of... <laughs> it worked. <laughs> Richard Roundtree. <laughs> yeah, it's and that's so much fun. Like, and I, I love those little lines of like, "Come to me when you actually have some dirt on me." Until then, I'll see you at the parent teacher conferences, <laughs> like right. stuff like that. Like, it's so funny, and that's where the comedy lies, really, in in having this film, this serious, serious film noir, on like the high school setting where teenagers are taking it life and death, but we remember it as kind of silly and yeah, the, the weirdness that it was. Well, yeah, and that's another thing. Like with the, I mean. We haven't mentioned that the language in this film is very stylized. Mm. And it's not just like it doesn't just nod towards film noir movies. It it could basically be a film noir script with right. like control F, control R, high school, yeah. control F, control R, drama club. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ryan Johnson does borrow some lines, you know, from things like the Maltese Falcon. Right. Um, but well, like these are kids and, you know, like we've talked about movies like Clueless right. and things like that where high school kids have their own sort of slang and, right. you know, parlance. Yeah. Language mm-hmm. that, you know, keeps old people out. This is not it. They are, <laughs> you know. Somebody calls him a Seamus at one point. Like this is blatant. Like you know, it's like well, it's it's perfect for high school. Is what I'm, because it's uh, you learn about all these illusions and you're reading Shakespeare in high school, and so this kind of feels like the first test of your skills of English class that you uh, that you learned in high school. You didn't call. Sorry, Carol went home though, didn't she? Yeah, but she stopped at a payphone, made two calls, and she didn't want on her phone bill. Get the numbers? No, sorry. Sorry. Me and Brad front page news. All the buzz. You really do that? Yeah. Why? Is Brad the pin? Brad? Sap. I downed him on his field and his crew didn't bite. Now I know he's a sap and anyone who acts like he isn't is profiting by it. It's not why I roughed him, though. For kicks? Economics. Brad's the school's biggest Jake buyer, so if his pin is behind all the selling, I just got his attention. Anyway, now we've shaken the tree. Let's wait and see what falls on our heads. Will do. Well, in a way, it feels like how in high school everybody tries to be an adult, but they actually aren't. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so intelligent and sophisticated. I'm using words that aren't necessary. I don't really know what they mean. Yeah. I'm alluding to things. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I, I hear you there. Yeah. Lines like, uh, I got knives in my eyes. I got to go home. Stuff like that that really paints a picture. I I just, I love it. It's It works for the for the film and plays against the setting in, in a real interesting way. It sometimes works. Yeah. I mean, I, it's kind of like the Shakespearean dialogue in the Romeo and Juliet right. with Baz Luhrmann. Yeah. Like, 
you know, sometimes it sort of like goes hand in hand and you can sort of like see like two levels to things, right? Mm-hmm. You can see how the high school fits into the same sort of criminal system that like a film noir movie would. Mm-hmm. But at other times you're just like, oh, they're really trying to make that stretch like the principal is a cop or like or like or like Brendan is like working for the principal or investigating this i mean he doesn't know it's a murder yet but investigating these events under the under the watchful eye of the principal or whatever yeah he's playing both sides yeah it's a real entrapment situation yeah. yeah but yeah i know that it's a bit of a stretch sometimes but i just feel uh, i don't know it's it's a world unto itself and i feel like it works within that world for me okay uh, but he does things get more and more worse because tug is kind of the henchman to the pin. Yeah, the heavy. Yeah, and Tug has been doing things on his own. <laughs> Tug. <laughs> uh, but uh, how do you think he got his name? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That one arm is really big. Um, <laughs> yeah, but he's been kind of going off on his own and pulling his own jobs. <laughs> well, I mean, we think that he is. Thank you, Blade. I'm sorry. It's, everything is <laughs> masturbation with this guy. With this guy, but we assume that he's just the henchman. Yeah, and like that's the guy that Brendan goes to to get to the pin, you know, and even suffers a pretty severe beating and almost getting run over by a car in order to finally get the guy to take him. I mean, this is the classic, like, film noir protagonist, like, doesn't actually care about whether he lives or dies. Right. As long as he solves his case. Like, the case (laughs) is his life. Right. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, we do find out that there was more going on. Well, he's, like, snooping around in the basement and he finds the last brick of uh, heroin. He finds out that things aren't so simpatico between Tug and the pin. Mm -hmm. But regardless, they all sort of go out to the culvert to sort of meet Dode. Wait, wait. Before that, they like they have this this thing where even when he joins the the Kingpin's gang, like, we should go topside for some like glub glub or whatever they say. <laughs> you know, Let's get some H two O into our esophagi, and then uh, they they go upstairs, and it's like the mother there, like, oh, do you want some orange juice? Like, not talking like them at all. Yeah, I, I that's funny to me. That's I loved that. Stuff. That that is hilarious. Yeah. I, I did love the mom stuff. Yeah, but it even does like echo back to like other crime movies where there is like. The sweet and loving wife who, like, isn't really involved in things and is sort of like the den mother to all these criminals. She's outside the world, yeah. Yeah. And we haven't mentioned the femme fatale of of this yet. Yes, Laura. Laura. Oh, Laura. The upper class, snooty, rich girl. Mikado quoting, (laughs) beret wearing femme fatale of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, she whispers every one of her lines. And I think it's she seems like such a small person that she's actually screaming, but it just shows up as a whisper on the she's, <laughs> she's very petite. And he knows that she's kind of playing him here and there, but she doesn't he doesn't know what her angle is. Yeah. He's trying to figure that out. That's part of the mystery. Yeah. He says he doesn't trust her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But still, he needs her. Yeah. And the brain keeps on being like, we can trust her. And he's like, stop, brain. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, brain. <laughs> So it all kind of comes to a head when Dode – no, when Dode is killed, right? Yeah. Well, he calls a meeting with the pin so that he can tell him some information. And before that, he confronts Brendan on the soccer field and is like, I saw you with the body. And so I know that you're the person who must have killed Emily. Right. And so I'm going to tell them. And so they all meet at the culvert. He's there. Tug is there. And the pin is there. And – 
Brendan thinks that Dode is going to reveal him to Pin and Tug, and that will be bad for him. But Tug, because he's actually the person who killed Emily, right. you know, assumes correctly or incorrectly that he's going to reveal him. And so he beats hit the shit out of him and then shoots him in the fucking head. Yeah. And they drag him into the culvert. The culvert's just piling up with bodies. <laughs> yeah. Don't go near the culvert. <laughs> That's like, you know, in, in movies like It, it's like, oh, there's a scary clown down there, something evil. No, just bodies. Just, <laughs> just bodies. Um, and These kids mythologize it as killer clowns. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so this is all wrapped up in the in the fact that Claire from Lost got pregnant. Yeah. And she was kind of... In and out of a lot of relationships at the end there. Yeah, and so it's ambiguous who the father is. Mm-hmm. But, but there's Jerry Springer for that. <laughs> yeah, go. that's right. Nobody yeah. needs to die. <laughs> Nobody needs to die. Also, Dode being like, I'm going to get some money out of the kingpin. Uh, and, uh, and you're like, why? Like, Why would the kingpin give you money for information on how – Like, this isn't – he go to the police. Maybe they'd give him some money. I don't – It's just. it just seems like a bad plan. But Dode isn't the smartest guy. No. And uh, it doesn't work out well for him. No. He no. gets even less brain at the end. Yeah. And then it seems like there's going to be like a war, like a gang war between Tug and the pin. That's what how they keep talking about it. It's like, oh, there's going to be a war if things don't settle down. Yeah. I think Tug was his name. They're just like, well, he's a thug. And if we take out the H, then we're good. <laughs> yeah. Then everyone know who he is. Uh, apparently, Tug has like a whole gang. Like, willing to f- die for him. I think it's just all of his brothers and sisters. Like, we see at one <laughs> point, because they're hiding out in Tug's house, and we just see a bunch of guys who are also dressed like him in, like, a wife beater. That's what families are, right? They just, uh, they're just clones? Well, I mean... <laughs> it's just so weird. And then... I mean, I thought it was interesting because it gave us a glimpse of this person beyond the character. It's like, yeah, he's like... A white trash kid right. whose parents popped out too many babies, right. and he has no parental supervision, so he gets involved in drugs. Yeah, he's he's wondering if he's the real Slim Shady. That's right. At that point, yeah. <laughs> he is probably a rapper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's a big kind of war in the house that we hear through. Uh, well, through what the it is? Yeah. I mean, they they come to to sort of to have a peace talk. Yeah. And they're going to stop the war because nobody wants violence. And Brendan also doesn't want violence right? or something. Yeah, yeah. And so he's going to broker this peace. But the pin says that he wants Tug to test the brick because mm. what happened earlier was that the brick was contaminated. And that's why somebody was on uh, – put a bunch of heat on Emily because they thought that she had cut the brick badly. And then that's how poor Frisco had ended up in the coma. So if – Tug tests the brick and it's been compromised, then he will also die or go in a coma. We don't know whether it's been cut. We don't know whether it's pure. So Tug isn't going to test it, isn't going to dose it. So Brendan offers to do it. I didn't touch it, Junk. That's all! I want to see it. The hell? I'm not willing to dose. It's proving something to me right here. Oh, it better be. It's telling them that I ain't under your thumb no more. That I ain't playing lapdog. To no custom cripple. Dose it. What? If it'll shut you two apes up. I'll take the dose. If I don't die, we're all right as rain. Deal. Fine. They send somebody to go get the brick, but 
it's not there. And then there's like this whole commotion that we sort of hear upstairs. Yeah. The camera like looks up at the low ceiling yeah. while it's sort of happening and tracks it. I love that. They're like, we don't we don't have money to show this big fight scene. We're just gonna do it in in uh, in audio. I I like that a lot. Yeah, that was clever. Yeah, and then like Tug uh, is like beating the pin to death. And uh, Brendan grabs the gun and runs, but then tosses the gun back in and then escapes. Right. And then the next day we find out that it was a whole shit show and, like, you know, they found, like, six bodies, including the body of Emily that Joseph Gordon-Levin put in Tug's Mustang. Right. Yes. Right. And he figured out that Tug didn't smoke, so someone else might have been in that car with him when Emily – fled the scene from the first phone call she yeah. had with him. That's right. And then so the last scene, I mean, we think it's all over. We think all the carnage is done. Yeah. And then, of course, in the denouement, he asked to speak to Laura. And so they meet on the soccer field, and uh, she's relieved to see him, that he's doing good. But he tells her he didn't go to the to house that night. But then tells her that he knows that she was, in fact, the one who orchestrated the whole thing, who framed Emily yeah. for cutting the drugs badly, and then who also sort of put Pin gotcha. and the tug you know, against each other. And she was also intending to have him die in the house along with everybody else. Mm. And then she just whispers, leans in his ear and whispers, <laughs> yeah, the brain comes onto the field after she leaves, and, and he's like, "What did she whisper in your ear?" And he goes, "A bad word." Uh, yeah, I'm sure. It was I don't know like... if you can hear though. I mean, it's subtitled on the subtitles, so I was watching with the subtitles on. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what it supposedly says. The subtitles say the word that she whispers in his ear. I guess so. Well, you can't hear. What are the subtitles ruining this book? Oh, I didn't ruin it. <laughs> I mean, motherfucker is kind of a good. That's a good. Uh, that's a good line. Yeah, I kind of just imagine her being like, poop. Oh, <laughs> like, I, don't know. I forgot to mention the thing that is actually like the twist, yeah. like the twist of the knife is that she's like, oh, yeah, Emily was three months pregnant. So you know who the baby was? It was yours. Hitler. Oh, it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. Hitler. Hitler from the past. Um, yeah. Then no, he has to go to the past. And, and that's why she calls him motherfucker because she was like a mother to his child, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. There you go. I, don't, I think it's because she seems like she's going to get away with it. Oh, yeah? Like, she just walks away. Oh, I guess, like, I guess he but sends a Shaft. letter. Yeah, he sends a letter to Shaft. Yeah. And Shaft is going to uh, get on the case. Uh, and that's Brick. It is Brick. That very good rundown, yeah, I have to say. I tried my best. Yeah, you really, uh, you really got the ins and outs. You know, it's not. The pin I and think... tug of it all. A lot of film noir movies don't even make sense. Like The Big Sleep, if yeah. you follow the plot points, it doesn't make sense. So Never goes to sleep. Never goes to sleep. He go- no. There's like a small a nap. There's a nap. I believe. Sure, a nap. Or maybe like, you know, being passed out at one point, but uh, yeah. from drinking, hard, hard-boiled detective. Yeah, but that- that's not. That's a dreamless sleep. You can't really call that a big sleep. Not a big sleep. No. no. But uh, good job. And we'll be back in. Oh, and there was no brick in this movie. Wait, no, the brick of, of... Oh, no, I got it, yeah. Okay. <laughs> God damn you, Rob. We'll be back in one minute uh, after, these, uh, after these messages. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. And we're back talking about Brick, Ryan Johnson movie with Joseph Levitt, Gordon, Gordon Levitt, <laughs> and uh, a bunch of other people. Joe Gordo. Joe Gordo. And uh, I'm going to, we're going to talk a little bit about some trivia. What's that guy, Lucas Haas, the pin? Yeah. Oh, that guy's creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in Witness. Yeah. He was a kid, a child actor, just like uh, oh, JGL. That was Witness? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. We he, should watch that sometime. Yeah, I know we should. I haven't seen that me neither. S- since, like, my, my mom sat me down to watch that movie. She's like, you need to see this movie. I was like, what, what are you doing? We um, watched it while we were in witness protection. Oh, that, well, that explains it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I have some trivia for you, Rob. Okay. And then after that, we'll get into some behind the scenes and talk about uh, how this movie holds up. So question numero uno, two of these actors in this movie – went on to play superheroes in the DC universe. Who were they and who'd they play? Okay, well, I know that uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt played Robin. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. The other one is a stretch. The other one, it's, but... Uh, is Shaft a hero? (laughs) Actually, they might have had DC Comics with Shaft, so I, you might have just blown yeah. this question well, wide open. Well, I mean, Richard Roundtree played Shaft, who was also played by Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson played Nick Fury, so doesn't that mean that Richard Roundtree also played Nick Fury? <laughs> In the Marvel Universe, if you try to get there. They're all the same to me. Oh, my God. Just keep on watching The Irishman. You'll be fine. Um, <laughs> so, it's almost to the second hour. <laughs> so... Megan Good, who played the kind of drama queen. Right, Kara. Kara also was in Shazam as like one of the young girls that grew up, like that became a Shazam person. Mm, That's Uh, cool. Yeah, so she played superhero Darla, which is, I don't know if she needs to change her superhero name. Yeah, I would go. Yeah. Yeah. Go with Darlene anyway. I'm like Lightning Strike, and I'm Captain America, and I'm Darla. She yeah. was good, though, in this movie. Yeah, I kind of yeah. liked her character of being the, like, you know, attractive girl that really dumb men just uh, worship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Like, I remember, like, drama girls like that that had kind of, like, their gaggle of, of men around them. Like, I, I do remember that. So it kind of yeah. – that was pretty good. Which okay. one did you belong to? Uh, <laughs> I was the girl. Um, <laughs> so uh, question number two. Okay. There are two actors – in this movie that war- worked with Joseph Gordon-Levitt in a movie after Brick, name one of those actors in one of those movies. Okay. So, yeah, I know that a bunch of these actors... Oh, have... beyond Ryan Johnson movies. Fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> That's not fair! Oh, it's totally fair. Ryan oh, Johnson man. movies are cheating, yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Uh... Maybe Emily DeRaven was in Third Rock from the Sun. 
<laughs> I mean, a lot of them were in TV. That's for sure. But that is not that is not true. One of the actors is Lucas Haas because uh-huh. he was in Inception. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. And then uh, Megan Good found her way into Don John as well. Megan Good. There you go. Making good. Making good <laughs> on that career. Okay, man. I'm I'm not yeah. doing well. No, but this one you might be able to get. Okay. Okay. Out of Ryan Johnson's five films, how many has Joseph Gordon-Levitt been credited in? Ooh. Credited. Okay. I'm going to need a clue. Can you draw a vague symbol on a piece of paper? <laughs> <laughs> if you color it in, you'll find out that it's a culvert. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, I know he was in Brick. Yeah, that's one. He had something to do with Looper. Yeah, I think he was uh, um, that guy's stunt double or something. Was he in the Brothers Bloom? He was in the Brothers Bloom as a patron at the bar. True. Um, I bet he's somewhere in Star Wars. He does play a lightsaber. He goes <laughs> vroom vroom. Really? No. <laughs> no. But keep on going. And he didn't play a lightsaber is what I'm going to I'm say. sure he's in Knives Out somewhere. I'm going to say four. It's all five. Really? Yeah, yeah. Okay, who'd he play in Star Wars? He, he was a voice. Oh. And, yeah, I don't know. He was a voice. He, didn't, okay. he was, didn't appear on screen. Same with Knives Out. Apparently he was a voice there too. That's cool. I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't know what voice that was. And I just watched the movie. So it's kind of a, a cheating question, but yeah. uh, but you lose. So that's all that matters well, to me. Maybe I was playing this. you the whole time, and I have trivia questions for you. <laughs> what? No. Yeah, that's right. What's Lucas Haas's mom's name? <laughs> you don't know that. <laughs> Lucretia Haas. Damn you! <laughs> Lucretia. You got me this time, gumshoe. <laughs> now make like a street and... Go down the street. <laughs> Talking like what with witticisms is hard. <laughs> I don't know how they dialogue it like that. Write it? No. <laughs> it's tricky to do in the moment. Yeah, it is. Oh God. So you'll be you'll be so surprised to learn that this movie was inspired by the works of Dashiell Hammett. What? Yeah, this is a level. Of behind the scenes that we got on this movie this week. <laughs> there aren't a lot. I watched the entire behind the scenes making of documentary. Whoa. Which was pretty cool, actually, because Ryan Johnson did go back to his old high school that he graduated right. from Sam Clemente, San Clemente High in, or- in Orange County mm-hmm. to uh, to film. And he hired a lot of the teens there that were into filmmaking to, like, be PAs and that even some, like, production on this crew, which is uh, really cool. Yeah. And one of those students – made the behind-the-scenes documentary and, uh, and, <laughs> and then, got a D <laughs> <laughs> for Dashiell. No, she she did it pretty well, actually, because she has this whole, like, film noir aspect to it where right. she, she's doing the voiceover of, like, I was just a student at San Clemente High. And, like, she's, <laughs> yeah, like uh, an intrepid reporter. It's like of. Hearts of Darkness or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Ryan Johnson was going out of his head. Yeah. <laughs> the studio wanted him to be reined in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just cut to him being like, you're doing a really good job. Keep it up. Because <laughs> even on the, like she says in her behind the scenes documentary, which I think is a really sweet, being like, Ryan Johnson isn't just 
the nicest guy I've ever met. Like in the same voice, she's like just really big he's up. He's also him. really handsome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He's who I wanted my dad to be. <laughs> I'm embarrassed by you, Dad. Can Joseph Gordon-Levitt take me to the prom? <laughs> No, I haven't. Yeah, no, she she was pretty cool about it. And there was everyone, everyone quotes this behind the scenes documentary is to talk about this movie. So props to her. She did a a great job. He spent seven years trying to make this movie. Oh. Yeah, it was his first movie on his own that he made. It wasn't a short that he made outside of film school. Uh And he had edited one of his film school buddy's movies before this but he had an agent he was trying to get people involved and seven years of having like a casting director trying to find people for this movie getting funding and then that funding falling through or the cast falling through and he kept at it which i is insane to me wow yeah he said that the only reason he kept at it was because he was not good at anything else, which is the Susan Sarandon method of acting. Do anything else <laughs> if you can. But he couldn't, so he did this. He uh, discovers he can make a pretty mean omelet and quits <laughs> to start a restaurant. Yeah, exactly. He, he didn't do that. Instead, I think that he annoyed everyone enough about talking about this movie because he had written the script seven years prior. Like he, People were hearing about this movie a lot in his family, and they all banded together. Even his agent's dad gave him money for this movie. So it was a real family affair. They all got together and gave him... (sighs) Rich people. They gave him $500,000. Whoa! (laughs) Wow! In 2003, which is a lot more um, than $500,000 today. I could get like... 500 pennies from my family. <laughs> Probably make a hell of a film. Yeah, I mean, just thinking about what you could get Lego for 500K. <laughs> God, uh, I mean, not a house in Toronto, but like still, you could get yeah. like something like a one bedroom apartment in Toronto. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't yeah. make like a movie for that amount, though. Uh, well, that's in Canada. You're expected to make a movie for less as your first movie. Oh, really? Yeah, in the, like the the kind of telefilm, our our publicly funded film system in yeah. Canada, because we have to compete with the U.S. So we have publicly funded film here. So you don't have to ask your agent's dad for money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You you have to jump through a bunch of hoops, but then they give you some money, and the the first film that you make is under 125k, ah. and that's supposed to be a feature. So that's that's you know. Okay, let me let me crazy. let me correct uh, let me correct my statement. You can't make a movie that anybody's going to see for $500,000. <laughs> That's brutal and mean and, and maybe a bit honest, maybe a bit honest. But he made this movie for under 500000 and it was seen by a lot of people. It went to a lot of film festivals. It went to Sundance, won an award for originality. Wow. Uh, a vision there, and it made almost four million dollars in the box office. Wow, which is is great. I'm I'm I hope that uh, Agent's dad got some back end <laughs> points on this movie because <laughs> uh, they could have made a pretty penny on it. The whole thing was was still a, 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 like I said, a family affair. Uh, his cousin Nathan Johnson wrote the musical score. Oh, yeah. Apparently he had just bells lying around and uh, yeah. those bells a lot. Some of the score the worked Dulcimer, very well. Yeah. Some of the score was a little bit annoying. Like at some points there was like an oboe that I was like, why do we fucking listen to an oboe? Like, you know, unless there was some <laughs> high school band kid practicing out in the yard. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. 
there's that scene where he's like being chased down by that guy with the knife, mm-hmm. and he goes by so many open classroom windows that you do hear like oboe practice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a bit it's a bit hit and miss. But Nathan Johnson did go on to become a film composer, so I think this is oh, great. This is kind of his. Uh, yeah, it's cool. A lot thing. of it's really nice. Yeah. And yeah, the only other bit of kind of behind the scenes stuff I could drum up was about the mansion that they filmed in. Mm-hmm. They're trying to look, they got kicked out of so many locations. Like it was his hometown, so he knew that if he went to like Pio Mai, whatever that was called, he got kicked out of there. So he went to somewhere else that looked like it and all that stuff. So it, it, it kind We of... don't want you stealing our souls <laughs> with your fancy picture stealing. Yeah, well, apparently it was the fact that they took up two parking spaces and they were like, we thought you were only going to take up one. <laughs> like, just like, so, Get off my lawn. So he moved to another place to do it. But uh, the location for the big mansion in the movie, they couldn't find. They had one day until they were filming there. And so they finally got this telecom executive that was building parts of the mansion still uh-huh. to give them his mansion for, for a few days. But they had to clear out the crazy amount of collector's items he had of one thing in his house. Oh. What, what do you think that would be, Rob? Wow. Was gonna be, it was going to be a, a question, a trivia question, but I don't – it was let too me, mean. Let me tune into the universe. Payphones. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> yeah, dating back to like the 1960s or something, he had like a collection of payphones. That's crazy. It's so weird. But I mean, it sort of makes sense. And even I was thinking about, you know, the uh, antiquated nature of payphones watching this movie. Yeah. Like, uh, they used some of the payphones. Yeah, I mean, as props in this movie because they uh, needed, they, they didn't have the spot for the payphone. Like, there was no payphone there. Right. They needed to shoot that. Yeah, so. because everyone has uh, a cell, cell phone. Yeah, yeah I, I was thinking about that too, about how it's on the cusp of people getting cells because he's calling people cell phones mm-hmm. from a payphone. So he's, it, but it's a great way to show how on the outside he is. Yes. Um, which I really liked as well. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, the last time I saw a payphone use, it was a it was a famous Canadian director using the payphone. I was like, you know, got a cell phone, man. <laughs> but that's the state of Canadian mm-hmm. film; they can't yeah, even afford. A, you can barely afford the fifty cents for the call. <laughs> <laughs> sure, here's a quarter, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that's kind of all that I could drum up on on this film. And wow, uh, looks like you're not so much of a gumshoe, are you? Oh, I spent so long, and all I got was like Ryan Johnson's a nifty, neat dude. <laughs> <laughs> Which now I know he's hiding something. Yeah, it's got to be a cover. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the Mister Rogers of film or something. Yeah, like an evil monster. An evil monster. Wow. So, Rob, when watching this movie again, were there any things that, like, stood out to you or any things uh, that you liked more upon? Like, you weren't trying to make out with someone this time. Yeah. I assume. Well. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I think that I appreciated the movie a lot more this time around. You know, again, just knowing, like, how film noir movies work because, I mean, they're so structured and they sort of rely so much on the structure pulling the story forward that honestly they can be confusing like the second that you look away from something or the second that you don't get the intended impact of a piece of visual information or something a clue then it's so easy to get lost and even when they 
explain it at the end like they kind of do in this movie. You're still like, well, what, what? And, yeah. you know, but I felt, you know, like I was with the movie watching it this time. There were some parts that I really enjoyed. Like there were some very nice visual images. And there are definitely parts where like I found myself getting sunk into the story. On the other hand, like I did still I found like the style like porting the uh the hard boiled detective talk into the uh teenagers. Sometimes I just found it like, oh man, it's taking itself way too seriously. Yeah. And yeah. That was the Robert Roger Ebert um kind of critique of it was that he was like, This is a movie that should have been a parody but instead went full on into serious. Mm -hmm. And that's a risk that it took, and it pays off somewhat, and sometimes it doesn't pay off. Like, sometimes it does take itself way too seriously. So you could be Roger Ebert is what I'm saying. Wow. I know. He's dead. Okay. But I did think that, like, it does work in certain spaces. And, like, as, you know, as a choice, it is, like, a strong choice. And I think what I really liked was the contrasting moment, like, we have all these kids who are, you know, talking very quickly, very wittily, very intelligent. They're, you know, they're uh, bantering back and forth. But then at one point, Brendan goes on the beach with Pin, mm -hmm. and Pin is like, Have you read Tolkien, The Hobbit? He's like good at describing stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Because, like, the language as we sort of see it is just like, you know, that's like how they're feeling inside. You yeah. Know? That's how they think. Like the musical of it all. Yeah. That's yeah. how they think that they're speaking, mm -hmm. you know. That's the songs they're singing. But really, yeah. they're like, do you know where my ex is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sad because she's not with me. <laughs> and I can't let her go because toxic masculinity. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't a word yet. <laughs> what do you think of the um, of the kind of fan theory that the brain is just in in Brendan's head? Whoa! He doesn't even exist, man. It's just Brendan talking to himself and like figuring, going over clues and seeing, like searching through his memory to see what he knows. Um. Yeah. I mean, I didn't get that indication by uh, the movie. I mean, yeah. And also, like other, I don't think other film noir movies have that trope either. Like that's sort of a you know that's like a taxi driver sort yeah. of thing. You know, yeah, the Fight Club. Yeah. Like, I think that what happens on screen is pretty much what we can expect to yeah. be like the real story, except for the language. You know. Yeah. I I kind of like it just in the one scene where uh, I mean two scenes where the the brain is kind of like I think we can trust her Brendan like he's he's being like oh I really like that uh, femme fatale yeah and it it feels like the argument within Brendan himself uh, so mm -hmm. that's where I think it really works but interesting yeah yeah I'm I can sort of see it. I thought you were gonna say that the brain was. The brain, the one behind it oh, all. The one behind it all. Yeah, like if you like look at the clues, like maybe he's the one smoking the cigarettes with the arrow on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why can't he see through his glasses? Why does he wear those things? Seems like he's hiding something. Mm, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's good. I like that. I yeah. like that too. So what about you, Blaine? I mean, this is one of your favorite movies. Yeah. This, this, this made you the person that you are today. Yeah. What what did you feel watching it this time through? 
Uh, I I mean, it definitely took a step down in my estimation. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved it before, and I thought it was you know one of those unimpeachable movies. And I now rewatching it, I see the the, the kind peaches. of the the peaches. There's so many peaches, and they're they're peaches for me. Don't worry, impeaching somebody doesn't do anything to them. <laughs> no, they can still start a war. Threaten to. Commit war crimes. Um, so uh, yeah, I I I see its, it's jagged corners, but I kind of I kind of still love it for that. Like it's it's a, a relatively low budget movie for the for the U.S. It's an achievement. It is. It is an achievement, and I and I think that even getting those uh, the actors like some of them aren't so great in the roles they are or hitting one note. Mm-hmm. Like I would. I would say Tug um, doesn't really. <laughs> I, I kind of like Tug. I know, I know. But uh, sometimes, yeah, he does he have tries a few so moments. So hard, yeah. Uh, I I liked the actor too, but I felt like it was kind of, um, uh, yeah, maybe not his like strongest outing uh, of his career. It made him sad. I'm Tug sorry, needs Tug. A hug. <laughs> Tug can cheer himself up, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I I thought that overall the this teen acting from this like uh, and the first time director directing all these teens like that's difficult. That's yeah. hard. Getting all the dialogue out, getting all the um, scenes to work, the story to work. I think he's a great writer, and so uh, all that kind of worked. And the thing that popped for me most this time was the like the auditory world of the movie, hmm. like that uh, guy with the knife uh, hitting that pole and like the bong oh, yeah. and the even but just before that when they're running and you can hear their footsteps so much and then he takes off his shoes because we need to know why he's taking off his shoes. So we have to hear those footsteps and following that fight in the in the house from like up above to down the stairs into the hall, like not seeing anything but hearing it all. I thought. For a first-time director, he really mastered that stuff, yeah, and uh, and really worked with it well. Because I, I, a lot of the first-time director movies I see is mainly trying to do cool dialogue or some really nifty camera trick or tell a story very, very simply with just dialogue. And so this was a kind of a breath of fresh air in for terms sure. of that, yeah. yeah. But uh, I still love this movie. I still love Ryan Johnson. I think it's a good film. Yeah. I think it does a lot of interesting things and, you know, was doing a lot of things that other movies weren't doing at that particular moment. Yeah. And there's always going to be messy and ugly bits to movies. And I think that's what makes, like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's face and Looper. Like, I I don't know. Like, that makeup didn't really work, you know? But it feels a little charming for it. So. If you can pull the rest off, I think the audience will forgive you your faults or even find them charming. So yeah. I think that's what this movie did. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to call it rewatchable. Rob? I'm also going to call it rewatchable. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that's what we do here on Rewatchability. Uh, thank you so much for coming in and putting us in your ears, through yeah. your earbuds. Feel free to check out our back catalog. We have some episodes. One or two. Yeah, one or one or two back there. And if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter. I think we have an Insta. We, we're, we're everywhere. Uh, you can find T-shirts at TeePublic in the Rewatchability store. And if you do have some pocket change that you want to cast our – I'm trying to like <laughs> talk like the teens in this <laughs> – I can't do it at all. But if you want to do that, you can go to patreon.com slash rewatchability and, uh, and donate there. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Or will you? No, you will. (laughs) Just the last mystery for the audience. (laughs)
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.